1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And it says, so whether, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Um, <clears throat> we've often approached this subject of stewardship uh, in maybe in a way that was, uh, was used to encourage you to make uh, your tithing, offering, whatever it is, to the church. Uh, and this happens to fall on our new financial year, in the church, um, but this message is not about that, and, and stewardship certainly uh, should never be about trying to find the way to make you give money to the church. And far from it, in fact, my job is not to do anything really in that sense, to uh, even manipulate, of course, not manipulate you into giving money. Uh, thankfully, the Word has got plenty of instruction about how you and me are each individually uh, commanded, encouraged to manage our, stewards, our, our stewarding, steward our resources well. And I'm going to go into that. We're going to talk about how Jesus does that today. And it includes things like tithing, offering, um, treasures, time, suddenly gone out of my head, talent. Thank you. I, I mentioned it about three or four times in this sermon, and I've written it out, and I, I can't believe I forgot that one thing. But anyway, so we're going to look at those things too. And, and we, we want to get away from this, uh, <clears throat> this, this message that seems to detach itself when we talk about money and when we talk about offering and things like that, that seems to detach itself from the Christian message uh, that suddenly becomes about a very worldly thing that we do in our church, which is to... Uh, try and get money to support what we do. And that, that is a shame because actually stewardship is an amazing, uh, amazing biblical principle uh, that is actually all connected into how we are as Christians. And one of the, the risks that we run here, if we don't talk about stewardship in the way that is, is tied in with the very people we are, people of Christ, people who follow him, who lay, give their lives to him, we can end up harming that message. We can end up harming the real message of stewardship. We don't offer our time, talents and treasure on the basis to get something back. We don't do that because we can't buy ourselves into the kingdom. Jesus doesn't ask for that because we can't buy Jesus either. So he goes around a different way and teaches us about what stewardship really is. We don't preach prosperity gospel. We don't do it through guilt. Our faith is not about feeling guilty. Our faith is meant to release us into a new life, to go and serve Jesus Christ in wherever he sent us. So it should be far from a guilt-ridden message. It should be enabling and empowering in who we are. So stewardship in this context, when we talk about this today, is really about our worship. It's really about how we worship God. It's simplified. Stewardship is quite a technical word, but in fact, it's something we do as part of our worship. If everything we do is done for the glory of God, then being good stewards 
is also part of the worship and glorification of God. Everything we do, including stewardship. So we need to understand how stewardship today should not be driven by following a law, but driven by a desire that surpasses any command that expresses how much we treasure God and therefore Jesus who came to fulfill the law. When I was uh, preparing this, this, um, this term came to mind that often when we talk to people, uh, I've, I've encountered it quite a few times. And when you say, kind of, we, we have these sort of general Christianese things that we say, like everything we have is from God. Everything we have is from God. Uh, to a non-Christian, uh, that doesn't really make sense to them. They don't really understand what we're saying. Um, and actually, the generalization can be quite damaging. But actually... When we really look into that term, everything is from God, there's many scriptures that tell us that indeed everything is from God. In fact, creation itself is from God, and therefore everything that follows is from God. And so when you say this to people, in my personal experience certainly, many people will say, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I don't need God give me things and not so maybe some time ago maybe many months ago I started a sermon with I'm a self-made man now of course I wasn't uh, being sinful I was just making a point in that sermon but the issue still remains here Uh, people will be offended by the fact that they cannot do it themselves and feel that if God has some sort of hand in this then that belittles me. I'm not worth anything. So when we say things like God gives everything, God is the provider for everything, suddenly our effort of all our lifetime of working and and getting to the place we are is suddenly offended. Suddenly at our core, we are offended by the fact that maybe we feel, well, what was the point then? But when we believe everything is from God, we should believe, even just from Scripture alone, that we are not self-made in any way. We did not make anything from ourselves without the express consent and ability from God. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse 15 to 18, says he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You might say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So when we look at stewarding, when we say that term of God provides everything, not only does God provide everything, but he gives this God-given ability to produce it. And maybe you can think of any invention uh, since the dawn of time and think, how did that happen? 
And maybe it's not a direct creation of God in that sense, but the ability that God gives people to create it is there. We are created beings, so we are creative. We're reminded that not only does God provide all things, he gives us, within reason, the ability to create. So God being a God who grows and changes us, trusts us with this gift of creativity, is a reminder that nothing can happen without him, without his express permission and consent. God ordains it first. Psalm 24, verses 1 to 2, says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it in the waters. Uh, There's a quote from C.S. Lewis, which says, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given, given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. He goes on, actually, to say, it's like a small child going to its father and saying, Daddy, this is when it's written, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. It's all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. Only we are idiots if we think that what we offer is something new to God. Look what I created. God didn't do it, I did. Only an idiot would think that we are creating something that God never anticipated or created himself. we think for a moment that we're giving God something new that he didn't have before, then we are kidding ourselves. What God has done is given us responsibility in managing what he gives us. That belongs to him. This universe is still under the ownership of God. He owns everything. And whilst he has all the rights, he has entrusted us with the responsibility to use it well, not for us, but for his glory. God has entrusted authority over the creation to us. But we're not allowed, we're believing Christians, we're not allowed to rule over it as we see fit. We're not allowed to assume that just because God gave permission and responsibility that suddenly we are the rightful owners. We're not. Everything that we have, everything that we own, everything that we do is because of God's permission. Grace. We're called to exercise our dominion under the watchful eye of the creator, managing his creation in in accordance with the principles established. 
we can sometimes do this as Christians. We can take certain things out of our lives and say, that, that doesn't, I don't need God to manage that. I'm, I'm going to take this, and this is the thing that I, I, I can manage. Uh, my time, my treasure, my talent. Maybe it's one of those, and we say, but God can have everything else, but there are certain things I, I don't want him to have because it would mean I'll have to maybe do something I don't want to do or maybe give something I don't want to give. And yet that is not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that he's given us responsibility over his creation, over everything we have. And just like the servants in the parable of the talents, we will be called to give an account of how we administered everything we have been given, including our time, money, abilities, information, wisdom, relationships, authority. We will be called to account on the day. We will all give account to the rightful owner as to how well we manage the things he has entrusted to us. So far from someone standing at the front of a church telling you, you must give 10%, I don't need to do that. And actually, neither does God. Old Testament was all about three different types of tithing. And actually, now Jesus has fulfilled the law. There is a new, a different way, as it were, of understanding how we give our time, talents, and treasures. I don't have to command you, because if we believe in Jesus, if Jesus is the thing we do this for, then Jesus tells us how we should do that. But at the same time, it is then down to us to be open to that leading. How ready are we to do that in the things that are we will struggle with to let go of. So when we look at stewardship, not from the point of view of how much I can convince you to keep giving more and more time, talents and treasures, but from the principle that it's driven from a place of personal relationship with Jesus. That, in my view, just, just me, when I'm looking at this and I'm thinking... This is about my personal relationship with God. Not how much money I can give. That doesn't measure to Jesus either. But what's my heart in everything that he has given me responsibility over and how will I use that for the glory of the kingdom? No longer is it about pleasing some person standing at the front. It's now honouring Jesus in what he has done for us and how we play a major part in sharing the gospel with others. And just in case you were thinking it, our relationship with Jesus is not measured in how much we give of the time. He doesn't, we don't reach a threshold and then he says, that's, that's a good servant, now you've spent 30 minutes praying to me. Now you've spent uh, 50 pounds giving to the poor. Because if we were to do that, then they're checkboxes, they're things that we could easily meet without any heart or any any desire to want to do it. But instead we live by command. We live by ticking a box. You cannot buy Jesus. You cannot buy the church. You certainly cannot buy the church that Jesus describes in the Bible. The, the bride of Christ. You can't buy that. We cannot buy our salvation. 
So our stewardship will be driven by how obedient we are to Jesus. Mark 10, verse 17 to 22 says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Looked at, I love that, that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. How about that? How about that moment when you're so close to the kingdom of heaven, you're standing in front of Jesus, and you say, I've done all those commands, Jesus. I've, I've fulfilled them since I was a boy. I've done all those things. Now, I'm ready. Just one more thing. You have to give yourself to me. Everything. Every single thing. These words, the last words in the verse, he went away sad because he had great wealth. That that battle within us to know the kingdom of heaven and have that sense of I know what it, I get a sense of what the kingdom of heaven is. And then to be dragged back by the worldly, material, wealthy world. I feel sorry for this man. He goes away sad. I've said in a previous sermon that this world is not our home. We should know that this world is our temporary accommodation. And the reason for having that mindset is to help us to understand that the gospel is a matter of life and death. We want people to come to a true faith in the Lord. Not one that's full of contradictions and compromises. And the same should be in our stewardship. We should have a light touch ownership of our time, treasures and talents. Having them ready to work for the kingdom as and when God tells us to use them. We have responsibility, not ownership. And the reason for this light light touch is because there will be times when God strikes at our hearts and commands us to do something that is akin to what Jesus said to the wealthy man. And there will be a time of struggle in our hearts when there's something that we didn't realize sometimes was our idol, was the thing that we were really worshipping, and suddenly Jesus challenges it and says, let it go. It's not yours. Do it for the kingdom of heaven. When we understand and intentionally live in the truth 
that God provided everything in the first place, then we won't go away like the sad wealthy man. Instead, we'll see what we have is far more powerful and effective in God's hands than it is in ours. 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 2 to 6 and 8 to 9. It says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as, we, uh, he, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I must have gone over this, uh, this section so many times. I'm going to show you some other translations in this, um, which it just it just sort of gives that much more that sense of what people were doing. But we need to see what's happening here. Firstly, he says in there, he says, "I'm not commanding you." And this was the point I made earlier. You see, what's not happening is that he's saying, "No more is it 10%. No more is it do this, this tithe, this tithe, and this tithe," because to command someone, yes, they will probably do it. But where's the sincerity? How do you know that you or someone else is being sincere in it? Are they following rules? Are we just following commands blindly without really knowing why we do it? So he doesn't command them. Test them. Test their sincerity. Just look at a couple of those verses in the message. It says here, instead of, of commanding them, he says in the message version here, just a, an extract, my tablet will catch up, uh, they were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. He then goes on to say, what explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. Isn't that awesome? They weren't hung up over the things that they had. So they had them because God allowed them to have them because God allowed them to create wealth or whatever they had or the, the things that they did have and yet, and yet when they saw the need they said, but it's not mine anyway and we'll give to help our Christian brothers and sisters, those that are struggling
What he then says to them is Jesus did this first. Jesus did this very act of being rich in the kingdom, having everything, being with God before he came to earth. And yet he gave up everything to die on the cross. He went to poverty so that we may become rich. We always talk about as Christians following Jesus' example. And in the Bible, it even shows they followed his example. The second verse, I think I have here, the second verse says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You get the picture of Jesus coming through here. That welling up. Want to, Jesus is going to do something about it. Jesus is going, to, is going to come and bring salvation. Loves his people. Doesn't want to see them in the place that they are. So Jesus has to take the punishment of sin so that we may be rich in his glory. Verse 9 then says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If there was ever a case of saying we need to follow Jesus' example, this is it. Forget everything else for now. We need. Where does the root come from? Where does our passion for Jesus come from? If not to follow his example. If not to say, I will become poor, so that those who don't know him will be saved, so that my brothers and sisters who are struggling will also be cared for. Because as Christians, we don't rely on the world to give us our provision anymore. Christians, Jesus is enough. And Jesus will not forsake us. He will never leave us. What this might have done had they not wanted all they, uh, to give all they had for the kingdom, if they didn't do that, if they didn't want to share, find a need and serve in it, if they were not of the heart to be Christ-like in everything they had, they might have just kept everything or a bit for themselves. Remember Ananias in Acts? And what happened to him, to his wife? It's not because he kept, they kept a thing, it's because of the heart behind what they were doing. It's because whilst they professed and said, yeah, we're following Jesus, but just in case that falls through, I'm going to keep a bit over here. That isn't what we're called to do. Instead, the other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. God just told them and they did it. God said, there's a need, I need you to go and fill it for me, for the glory of the kingdom. And so when all is said and done, when we consider our time, treasures, talents, and talents, something we have worked for and gained under our own strength, then inevitably we will not honour God in these things. 
if we for a moment think that we have somehow earned these on our own merit, everything we have, every, I'm not just talking about money, I'm talking about everything, the home you live in, the money that you use to buy your shopping, everything. If we think for a moment, oh, how well I've done on my own strength. then we need to pray. Because that's some serious stuff that isn't about Jesus. And every day we think like that, we will always go away like the sad, wealthy man under a constant struggle between the worldly and the kingdom of heaven. We will always be in a struggle. And yet Jesus comes, not because he's saying, He's trying to sell you something or because he's trying to say, give me all your stuff. He's saying, if you believe that what you have is mine in the first place, you'll be set free when you have to let it go. It won't trouble you. You won't have an internal battle with your flesh anymore because you know that it came from him in the first place. And not only am I giving it back to him, I'm saying he's going to use it for something. We're not paying rent to him. We're not paying it back so we can earn something. We give it back so he then goes and uses it for the power and the glory of the kingdom. So we no longer have to live that way. We no longer have to allow the fear of worldly wealth to trouble us. Instead, we can allow the purposes of God to work in our lives and allow those gifts to become an amazing expression of worship being content in his grace and mercy. I might give you a quick example of just, this always comes back to money a lot of the time, but maybe, maybe you just need to remember something here about how our walk with Jesus. In that when we, before we came to him, before we were believers in him, there was a moment that we had to decide to let go of things and understand that all those things were by God, were deemed by him, were allowed by him in the first place. And we might have been living lives that were, of course, not in line with him because we, might not, we would have been Christians then. But a, a, there was a tipping point, wasn't there, when we said, I'm going to follow the Lord. And with that did come a cost. It meant I could no longer hold on to the security of the world, hold on to my wealth, trust in what the world gives me, to let go of the things that were soothing me and making me feel better every day. This is the same principle here. It doesn't stop when you become a Christian. We're always going to be challenged at the next thing and the next thing of how we will steward what God has given us. Today, if we genuinely and intentionally allow God to have rightful ownership over our time, treasures and talents, we can become partners in God's great work. God doesn't stop working because you feel you're not involved in anything. Because you're not taking part in anything. God carries on working 
It's just other people get to experience it. When people, when we Christians give everything back to God, we can become part of what he does in his work. And there must have been moments, at least one moment in each of our lives, where we've done something and seen God working in it when the other person hasn't. And then we have to keep our mouth shut because we don't glorify ourselves, do we? Oh, I told him about Jesus once. I read him a verse. We don't do that, do we? We don't take glory for ourselves. So instead, we go away and we worship him. Say, thank you for showing me that. Thank you for making me part of that moment, of seeing what you were doing in that moment. If we allow God to have rightful ownership over time, treasures and talents, we can become partners in his great work. So whatever you have, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. That's where it comes from. There's no longer tick boxes to meet. There's no longer tithes to meet. There is just the serving in the kingdom. What I have is yours, Jesus. And yet he gives abundantly more than we can ever measure in the world that we have. I'm going to pray. And then we'll we'll speak our blessing. Father, I want to thank you that we can come to you with the things that we struggle with in our heart to let go of, the things that we treasure, the things, the time that we have, the talents that we have. And Father, I thank you that this is a time of grace where we can come and say, Lord, teach my heart. If it's not right now, then just teach me how to let this go. How do I serve in the things that you've given me for the increase of the kingdom? Father, teach us about the true stewardship of everything you've given us. Teach us about the true, the true life of a Christian. That everything is from you and about you and for you. And Father, we, we do want to thank you today for the things that we do have, even in this church as we stand at the moment. Even the things that we, we are able to pay for and the things that we're able to do, but not because we dip our hands in our pockets. Not because we just pay the bills, but because we are led to serve Jesus in for his kingdom and for his glory. Father, we pray over all the things that we do give you and we pray over them, Father, that you will bless them and you will use them for the increase in the kingdom in this place, in this church, in this area, in these streets, in this town, in this world. Father, that whatever happens to us, let it be for the glory of the kingdom. Father, we want to thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches, challenges our hearts, our minds. Father, thank you for everything you have done and will do in the future for the increase of your kingdom. Amen.